you can cry me a river cry me a river I cried a river over you Within living memory, the Los Angeles River has been pretty much a sump, a dump, and a joke. Its long life as a real river, deep-sixed and paved over. The new master plan for reimagining the river just began its slow-mo rollout with architect Frank Geary as its marquee name and with a website laying the groundwork for decisions by marshalling a lot of data. Matthew Grandy's a Cambridge professor who lives closer to the Thames than to the L.A. River, but he studied it for more than a dozen years, written about it in his book, The Fabric of Space, and here he sizes up the river's comeback chances and the daunting conflicts along the way. Out of my head While you never shed How do you see the role of the renowned architect Frank Geary as leading, as changing, as raising the profile of anything that happens to revive the Los Angeles River? Yes, I think that Los Angeles is not so different from a number of other cities and urban redevelopment projects where um, a high-profile, if you like, star architect um, has been chosen to to play a role as perhaps a figurehead um, or, or some kind of a, a design uh, leader for a particular project. But I think there are, there are several elements here. I think the first thing is that um, urban rivers have become trendy, so there's more um, interest or attention placed on urban rivers. I think we see many examples of um, urban development projects where a high-profile architect form, takes a pivotal role in the, in the new project. Um, and, but I think it's an ambiguous um, strategy uh, because I think potentially it can ignore the grassroots perspectives and all of the rich uh, knowledge of uh, places, of local communities. If you bring in somebody um, from outside who perhaps doesn't have such a deep knowledge or connection to the place that's being redeveloped. Every great city grows up in some fashion or another around a river, and Los Angeles is no exception, but that's pretty much where the resemblance ends. What's different about Los Angeles and its relationship with our river? I think that maybe the first thing um, to say is that um, the river for Los Angeles has performed a very specific um, functional task um, to take uh, stormwater safely and quickly as possible um, out to the ocean. Um, it's only uh, relatively recently that the river has been effectively um, rediscovered as part of the city uh, in a similar way, let's say, to other world cities like um, London or Paris. Why do you think it was so easy for Angelinos to forget, generations of Angelinos since the 1920s and 30s, that there is even such a thing as the Los Angeles River? I think probably the critical turning point was when the, uh, the Olmsted-Bartholomew plan for the river uh, back in the early decades of the 20th century, when that plan was abandoned, in other words, the idea that the river could be some kind of a floodplain stroke nature park, a new kind of large public space in the city, was basically given up. And so the attention turned to a, an engineering solution for the city. And inevitably, for structural reasons, that meant that the river was no longer um, a, a river in the sense of a of a, um, an ecological landscape that people would respond to. It became a, a functional landscape that was actually cut off um, from the rest of the city. Um, I think that's perhaps the key 
turning point, if you like, when um, real estate interests um, uh, basically were predominant over alternative conceptions of um, regional urban planning. That was the, the fundamental tension, um, which we see incidentally in other cities now, for example, in London. The fundamental tension is, um, can we give over large areas of land uh, to, cr to create um, some kind of a floodplain uh, park, or are we forced to go for these um, large-scale um, engineering solutions to flood risk? I was surprised when I was working on my book about the river to find that it was treated more as a nuisance than an asset for its recent life. I think that you could even say that, uh, that many people have even feared the river uh, at certain points in its history because it's seen as a, uh, a marginal or even dangerous um, space. The river may actually be better known to most people, even if they don't recognize it, as the setting for car chase and racing scenes in movies like Grease. <laughs> And Terminator 2 and Repo Man. <laughs> wow, that was intense. Repo Man's always intense. At least the Hollywood part of Los Angeles has looked at the river and said, we can do something with this. I think that the, the way that the, the river has been portrayed um, cinematically has been very much to represent the, um, if you like, the dystopian side to the city um, or the hidden side to the city. So there are certain uh, cultural motifs that have been played out through the use of the river. When it was converted into a, um, a concrete drainage channel, effectively, by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, these um, strange concrete landscapes um, were over time a source of inspiration for artists, filmmakers, and so on. And I think one of the tensions now is that this particular cultural interpretation um, of the concrete river will be forgotten or displaced by this new phase in terms of the cultural appropriation of the river. I mean, one of the features of London um, since the 1980s um, is that the post-industrial riverside landscapes um, have been redeveloped um, for a variety of different purposes, such as um, parks, new housing projects, and so on. Um, so there's certainly a sense of, a, of an industrial river becoming a post-industrial or abandoned space and then redeveloped, particularly to the east of the city. Uh, so I think in some ways, London and Los Angeles have both been going with similar dilemmas um, what to do about these um, abandoned uh, spaces in the vicinity of their river. There are a lot more governments than the city of Los Angeles who have a hand on the tiller when it comes to deciding the river's future. Yes. And I think one of the basic um, tensions um, is the um, structure of government uh, in the Los Angeles metropolitan region because you have a very complicated set of different um, local authorities and jurisdictions and there isn't a strategic planning authority that can very easily bring together all these interests or allow different communities to effectively engage with each other um, in relation to the future of the river. Um, I think if there was a, a truly um, inter integrated uh, plan for the future of the river, that could actually imply a change in the way Los Angeles itself is governed. And that would be the critical point, whether all these uh, different uh, bits and pieces, if you like, can actually be uh, brought together to create um, a sum that's larger than the individual parts in terms of uh, re-envisioning the river. What do you think are the biggest obstacles to bringing the river back to a vital part of the literal and cultural landscape? One, one thing is 
making sure that what happens to the river is connected to local communities and public culture. So there's genuine participation and discussion about what happens. Will local communities be consulted? Um, will their voices be heard? Um, will existing environmental groups, such as the, the Friends of the Los Angeles River, um, will they have a strong voice in terms of talking about the, uh, the river's future? I think the other challenge, obviously, is the cost of modifying or redeveloping the Los Angeles River. It's a major fiscal challenge. And I think perhaps the third uh, main um, challenge or barrier, we could say, is the fragmentary uh, nature of regional government for Los Angeles and whether that could be changed in some way to accommodate a more ambitious um, set of plans for the river. Given those obstacles, what odds do you give us for getting, getting anything done, for getting it done even close to right with the Los Angeles River? In one sense, I'm optimistic in the, in the period in which I've got to know the river over about 12 to 15 years. I have seen these small-scale initiatives and changes which are really fascinating. Um, I think the, the more difficult question is when the, the river becomes um, effectively inter- integrated into more large-scale um, land and uh, real estate speculation. Um, and at that point, we're almost going back to the dilemmas of the early 20th century and what happens when urban planners um, encounter real estate interests, uh, the raw um, politics of urban development begins to come into the frame. So I think there's a, a sense of concern about the um, potential um, secrecy of large-scale environmental planning and urban development projects. Um, I think another possible point of um, tension um, is a question of a concern about the underlying uh, motive for some of these large-scale plans. The real estate interest, just as Olmsted and Bartholomew had to contend with these real estate interests in the early 20th century, these real estate interests are very much um, still there. They're very present. And the question is um, how um, clear these conflicting interests are in the public imagination and what role the public can actually play directly in the discussion about the future of the river. You think it's any different now? I would be very surprised if it's changed that much. I mean, I think that fundamentally... Um, a lot of these tensions that were there in the early decades of the 20th century could very easily resurface in relation to an ambitious plan for the river that balances um, ecological needs, cultural needs, uh, the flood risk dimensions. When the river paving began, the point was to get rid of the water quickly. Now in the midst of drought, we're wondering why we're wasting the water that does get flushed through the river. Can the master plan for the river make saving water a priority? There's no question that enormous quantities of water are simply um, lost uh, because of the, the hard surfaces of the city, the very high proportion of space for um, uh, uh, parking spaces, uh, roads, highways, and the, the hydrological potential of Los Angeles has been um, underutilized or underexplored. So ultimately, it's not just a question of the river, but the whole um, hydrological imagination, if you like, for Los Angeles. Uh, what is your favorite part of the river, exploring it as you have done? I like the Dominguez uh, wetlands site. Uh, there's a, an area which I looked at very carefully about 15 years ago, uh, and then I came back again and then saw how this 
small part of the river, not the river itself, but some of the um, adjacent uh, drainage channels had been uh, changed in a dramatic way to create a, an extremely interesting kind of um, ecological park. And in fact, the first thing I noticed when I revisited that site and coming away from the highway was the, um, the bird song, like a, a wall of bird song, a kind of acoustic transition moving from the highway to these remodeled um, uh, ecological landscapes adjacent to the river. A dramatic uh, transition, I think. Matthew Gandhi, thank you so much for your time and your insights. Thank you very much for talking to me. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered and edited by Todd G. Levin. The music is Julie London singing Cry Me a River in 1955 and Russell Garcia's 1956 jazz album Los Angeles River. The movie moments are Paramount Pictures' Grease and Universal's Repo Man. I am Pat Morrison. Pat Morrison.